Leading Ideas Talks podcast is brought to you by the Lewis Center for Church Leadership of Wesley Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C. Subscribe free to our weekly e-newsletter, Leading Ideas, at churchleadership.com slash leading ideas. Leading Ideas Talks is also brought to you by Discovering God's Future for Your Church. This turnkey video toolkit helps your congregation discern and implement God's vision for your church's next faithful steps. Learn more and watch an introductory video at churchleadership.com vision. And remember, to stay up to date with the latest church leadership strategies and information, please like and subscribe to this channel and click the bell icon to get updates for new videos. How can your worship connect powerfully not only with those in the room on Sunday mornings, but with those worshiping online in the moment and after the fact? Hybrid ministry expert Jason Moore outlines simple changes that can make your worship more meaningful and participatory for online viewers in the moments and evergreen in its ability to remain relevant and accessible to anyone at any time. Welcome to Leading Ideas Talks. My name is Ann Michael, and I'm a senior consultant with the Lewis Center for Church Leadership of Wesley Theological Seminary, and I'm also one of the co-editors of Leading Ideas e-newsletter, and I am so pleased to be your host for this episode of our podcast. Uh, my guest today is Jason Moore. Uh, he served on the staff of Ginghamsburg United Methodist Church in Ohio. He currently runs Midnight Oil Productions, and for many years, he's been a sought-after consultant and coach helping churches with worship and worship design, uh, but since the earliest days of the pandemic shutdown, he has really become the go-to source across the United Methodist Connection and beyond, helping churches navigate this brave new world of online worship. Um, earlier this year, he put some of that uh, wisdom uh, to press with a book called Both And, which provides all kinds of practical advice on how congregations can conduct hybrid worship in ways that maximizes the experience for both in-person and online worshipers. And that's gonna be the focus of our conversation today. So welcome to you, Jason. And it is a pleasure to be with you this, uh, this morning. Yeah. So to kick our conversation off, I thought we could begin kind of in the heart of your book, where in chapter four, you describe how in a hybrid world, there are a number of different distinct and different audiences, if you will, that constitute a church's worshiping congregation. And so uh, to start off our conversation, um, I thought it might be helpful for our listeners if you just name and briefly describe those different segments of people that we can connect with through online worship. Absolutely. Well, uh, you know, when things changed for us, when the pandemic hit and so many churches went online, uh, we had to move beyond the one audience or one congregation that we always had uh, gathered. Now, some churches were online prior to the pandemic, but uh, whether you were online beforehand or you went online with the pandemic, these other audiences um, or segments of your congregation, I think, began to develop. So I always think about uh, congregation number one or, or segment number one of your congregation are those who are in the room, the people that are right there in front of us in our physical space. Uh, number two, you have people who are worshiping with you online uh, in real time, 
you've got uh, a third audience, which are people that you know that are worshiping with you, um, that are worshiping at home. And then uh, a, a fourth group are people that you don't know that are worshiping with you online. Uh, mm -hmm. So we've got the people that we know in the room. We've got people at home worshiping with us that we know are worshiping with us that we're connected to. And then we have uh, folks that we don't know who are worshiping with us. And the reason it's important for us to consider all of those different groups is that the way that you communicate with them uh, has to be a little bit different. For people that don't know you at all, you have to explain your rites, your rituals, uh, the, the practices of your worship um, if you want to allow them to participate in meaningful ways, uh, you, you've got to equip them to do that. Um, another way that I've been saying it since the book came out is to consider that we have people um, here and there and now and later. And what I mean by that is that we have people that are right here in the room with us uh, now. We have people, so they're here. We have people that are there, uh, which mm -hmm. are those folks that worship with us online. We also have people that are worshiping with us right now as we're doing it in real time. But but a really important thing that we have to consider is that we have a lot of people who are worshiping with us later now. So here right. and there and now and later. And uh, and we want to focus on all of those groups. Yeah, thank you. That's a really helpful way of, of making it clear. Um, you know, in your book, you write that in a truly uh, hybrid worship, each of these different audiences, again, if you will, feels like they're the primary audience, and none of them are allowed to feel like they're just an afterthought or an onlooker. And, um, you know, in order to create that really sense of welcoming connection with these different segments of your worshiping community, um, you talk about how some of the standard aspects of our worship may need to be tailored or tweaked a bit. And I thought it might be helpful if I just named some of the topics that you address in the book and just gave you a chance to briefly explain uh, sure. maybe how it how how it might need to be changed uh, in this new new world of of hybrid worship. So um, the first is the length of the worship service. Yeah, you know, uh, we have different attention spans in the room than I think we have at home. And part of that is that we get to control the space when we're gathered physically. So, you know, you get to control the lighting and the, the symbols in the room and the seating and all those kinds of things. Uh, you can't really control those things at home. So you can't prevent someone from ringing my door or my dog needing to go out or the constant uh, dripping of the coffee machine that might attract me and, and those kind of things. And so we have just shorter attention spans in our living rooms than we would at, at home or in the building, I'm sorry. Um, and so one of the suggestions that I make in the book is that uh, if you're doing worship in a both and way, um, and there are ways to do this in real time, there are ways to do it after the fact, uh, you might alter the length of your worship. You might invite your online congregation to come in partway into your worship. Uh, and and leave or, or dismiss them. They're allowed to hang around as long as they'd like, but dismiss them early. Um, Nona Jones, who uh, works for Meta, and at the time that I wrote the book was the director of faith-based partnerships for Facebook. Uh, they're now Meta. I think she has a different title now. Uh, said that they had been studying the data and found that uh, most people will only stay tuned in for about 40 minutes uh, for an online broadcast. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, and, you know, most of us do worship that is longer than an hour or, you know, 
uh, upward. Let me say that again. Uh, most of us do worship that is uh, around an hour or even a little bit right. more. And and in the room, you have a captive audience who uh, will participate. What I found in doing hundreds of seminars on hybrid worship over the last couple of years is that most people tell me they don't sing at home. Um, you know, some of them will pray the prayers along with us and things mm -hmm. like that. But there are multiple aspects of worship that don't translate so well at home. And so I encourage churches to think about, uh, might we create an experience that for the room is the full experience, the full hour, the full hour and a half, full hour and 10 minutes, whatever it is, and then maybe create an experience for those online that is a little shorter. And, and one thing I've been saying more recently is that you can take that full experience that you have on Sunday morning, if you're broadcasting it or streaming it, and people can hang around for as long as they want. But we might take that and create a curated version of that experience. Right. So we might edit that down to a 30-minute experience of worship, which maybe has a little less in the way of singing. Maybe there are some things that we cut out that wouldn't translate to those worshiping on delay. But you may find kind of a side door entrance into your church through a curated experience of worship, or you continually make the invitation to people to come be with us in the building where you get the complete experience as well. Yeah, well, that actually goes to the next point I was going to ask about, and that is the, the question of when people worship, because I think we're locked into this idea that everybody's going to tune in to worship at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, but that's not necessarily the way people consume online content. And so when you talk about a curated worship service, you're suggesting that there are many people who may want to take advantage of this worship service at a totally different time. Um, can, can you help us think about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, think about how much the rest of our lives have been uh, disrupted because of, of COVID and the way that we uh, experience content uh, now in, in the world of entertainment. I mean, now you stream movies from home, uh, you know, rarely ever do you tune in to watch your favorite show when it uh, airs live. I mean, unless it's a sporting event, a lot of us binge watch our shows or we watch them uh, so we can fast mm -hmm. forward. And why would we think that worship is would be any different? Um, I'm not suggesting that worship is the same thing as consuming entertainment, uh, but our, our practices, our habits, uh, the way that we consume uh, information and, and data and uh, participate in experiences has changed quite a bit. So consider that, you know, now we have people who worship uh, with us on Sunday evening or or Monday afternoon. Maybe they work on Sundays. They are maybe the third shift workers that can't get up on a Sunday morning. Um, I have heard stories about uh, nursing homes uh, where they will uh, worship after the fact at a later time. Maybe they're not early risers, uh, but they gather together in a common space and worship at a later time. Uh, I have had the privilege over this last couple of years of coaching hundreds of pastors and monthly cohort calls. And what I've been hearing from so many pastors, maybe three quarters of them, are that uh their on-delay or on-demand worship numbers are much greater than their mm -hmm. Sunday morning live mm -hmm. numbers. I'll have people tell me, I look and I'll see, you know, four people streaming or five people. And then we look at our numbers through the week and those numbers go up dramatically. You know, we don't want to take attendance anymore just on Sunday. We want to take it all throughout the week right. um, leading into even uh, Saturday, you know, uh, those numbers mm -hmm. uh, accumulate. 
or really forever. It, I mean, it may not just be within the seven day calendar week. People yes. may choose to come back to a worship service weeks or months later if it's a topic that's of interest to them. Absolutely. So, yeah. So you already mentioned singing and music, but but could you could you just say a bit more about that? Well, I think that music and, and singing is an important aspect of worship. I mean, I, I'm a musician. Like I, I love music. I love to sing and uh, all of those things. But I think that there's something about the communal experience that is different than sitting on your couch, maybe with your family or being in a hotel room or wherever you may be for the day. Um, so I don't think we should eliminate music altogether from worship online. But I do think that we might abbreviate it a bit or maybe do less singing online than in person. One of the suggestions I make in the book is that you might uh, have one or two songs. If you do your entire worship service online, you might uh, have people join you after you've sung a couple songs and say, hey, if you'd like to experience our entire worship set today, uh, you can do that at a link on our social media and post the entire thing. Give people the opportunity to opt in rather than sit through something that uh, a lot of folks at home just aren't doing. Let's talk about announcements, because I think you have an interesting thing to say about, about worship announcements and how those might come across to an online audience. Yes. Well, I think it's so important that we remember that we don't have a captive audience online in the room people are not going to get up and leave if you go on for five minutes or 10 minutes with announcements that don't feel very compelling or very relevant or whatever. But online, it's just a simple click to close the window. So I make the pitch in the book, and I've been actually saying this for many years, even before the pandemic, that we ought to consider not doing announcements as the first thing in worship. Uh, let's not start with the, the least compelling thing that we have to offer in the way of information, but let's start with inspiration and give people a sense of what their return on investment for hanging with us is going to be. So this morning, we're going to share a message about, just give them a little overview of like where you're yeah. going and all those kinds of things. And then I make the pitch that announcements ought to not be announcements, they ought to be action steps. So if we leave them or move them to the end and don't make them announcements, but say, friends, today we have been talking about how to find our faith in a season of fear. And I want to give you four opportunities to do that. Uh, yeah. do that very thing this week. Yeah, that's brilliant. I, I, I when I read that part of your book, it really made so much sense to me just to reframe that because I, I think all, uh, announcements also tend to be so insider oriented. And for someone who's not in the building or not part of the immediate community, you know, unless you frame them the way you do to really give them relevance, it's probably not very important to them. So I, I think that's a brilliant suggestion. Uh, one last aspect of this I wanted to pick up, and that is the style of preaching. Well, uh, I think that we have to consider um, when it comes to preaching that when you are in the room, uh, you preach to the whole room. You know, you preach to the people over on the left and on the right. And if you have a balcony, you make sure to preach to them as well. And I think it's so important that we preach to people online as well. And we include them in the experience. Uh, I think language really matters. So we've got to be really careful about not just talking to the people in the room. Um, one of the things I will hear pastors do sometimes to connect uh, to say, hey, let me just ask uh, by show of hands, how many of you? And they'll ask a question or whatever, mm -hmm. or just shout out, you know, whatever. The people at home can't shout loud enough for us to hear them. Uh, mm -hmm. They can raise their hand, but we'll never have any sense that they're there. And so I want to encourage pastors to think about how do we include everyone in the experience? Yeah. Uh, another thing I talk a lot about in the book is that making sure 
we uh, give eye contact to everybody, including those who worship at home. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. since, since this is a video podcast, I can demonstrate um, <laughs> that if I only talk to my room and I don't ever look at the camera, it's a little weird when you're uh, in this conversation that I'm not talking to you. But when I look at the mm -hmm. camera, I make you feel like you're a part of it. And so I encourage pastors to think about if you're a manuscript preacher, preacher put a, um, a camera icon in your notes, maybe at the top of each page. I don't mean mm -hmm. preach to the camera. You're not filming a television show, but in the same way you look at the people on the left and the right in the balcony, mm -hmm. you want to do that for folks online as well. And then mm -hmm. uh, the last thing I would say here is that uh, most of the churches that I consult with these days, I do a lot of what I call secret worshiper consultations where I basically come to worship as a guest. And I used to just do that in person. And then when the pandemic hit, I did a lot of it online. Uh, what I notice all the time is that we tend to acknowledge the online congregation at the very beginning and the very end, and then we forget about them in the middle. Yeah. So we'll say, hey, if you're worshiping with us at home, thanks for coming today at the beginning. And then that's the last time we talked to him. We talked to the room, talked to the room. And then at the end, we say, hey, thanks for worshiping with us today. And uh, I want to encourage pastors to think about when you're preaching, are there opportunities maybe in a couple of places to both name that we've got people here and, and there, you know? So uh, pastor said one day um, when I was secret worshiping um, his service, he said, hey, uh, I want to tell you, I'm wearing my favorite suit today. This is the suit I got married in. I look out and I see all of you and uh, I see that some of you have your favorite suits on. It was Easter uh, and I, uh, that he kind of moved on from there. And, and afterwards I said, you know, one opportunity there to include the online congregation is to say, I wonder if those of you at home today got up and put your favorite outfit or maybe <laughs> have your favorite pajamas on this morning. Um, just that acknowledgement makes it feel to me when I'm worshiping at home or I'm on vacation or I'm at the nursing home or I'm wherever I'm at that you are, you're thinking about me too, that I'm a part of, I'm a participant in your worship, not just a viewer of, or a watcher mm -hmm. of your worship or uh, your worship. Yeah. I'm i uh, I'm not a worshiper on, I, let me say that again. Goodness. I'm all tongue tied. <laughs> I'm not a viewer of worship. I'm a participant. I'm not a watcher of worship. I am a worshiper online. And I think that's a distinct difference that we need to really consider. Yeah, I think too, when you, when you talked about preaching, I, something I found helpful was that you talked about the length of the sermon and that, you know, I mean, I know it varies so much in different traditions and there, you know, some people, be, there are some congregations where it's always 20 minutes and there's other ones where it's always 40 minutes or, you know, somewhere it could even be longer than that. But you talk about how TED Talks are 18 minutes long and that that's probably more what we need to be thinking about in an online sermon, right? Absolutely. I, again, I think our attention spans are different in the room than they are at home. And I think TED Talks are a great example. I even uh, put an outline in the book for how uh, TED Talks are done. And um, there's some great material out there on, on how that mm -hmm. is done. I've also seen pastors take, now I know some churches pre-record their online worship. And so I've seen pastors do like a, their 18 minute version for the recording and then the you know full 30 minute version or 25 mm -hmm. minute version online. Uh, also that idea of the curated experience might be that you could stream it live and do the whole thing the way you always do uh, live in the, on, on the morning of in the room and then stream it. Um, but you could also take that same thing 
and create an 18 minute version of your sermon that you might post all by itself. And people again, might find a side door into your church because uh, they'll watch that 18 minute version, whereas they may not watch the full 30 minute version. Uh, you know, most podcasts are in the 20 minute or so right. neighborhood. And uh, I think that if we can start to deliver an experience of worship that considers the audience who is, is tuning in or consuming that content, uh, we may have the opportunity, I think, to, to bring me, more people into the relationship with our churches. Um, mm -hmm. well, well, that go really goes to the next question that I wanted to ask, and that's that um, you focus a lot on how online worship can be what you call evergreen worship. And I, I wanted to ask you to explain what you mean by that, and then maybe describe some of the changes in mindset and, and language and practice that might help our Sunday morning worship live beyond Sunday morning. Yes. Well, that's really it, is evergreen is the idea that it would live beyond the moment that you do it. And uh, mm -hmm. it's almost hard to believe now, after living in this uh, hybrid world for a couple of years, that uh, we used to do just... we. We used to just do church on Sunday, and the only people that got to benefit were the ones that were there in the room. And then right. it was a thought in their heads, but that was really it. And now our One worship, and done. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And now our yeah. worship lives forever. And to me, that's really exciting. Um, the idea that I could preach a sermon on Sunday, and if I have the right keywords and the right title, somebody five years from now could be searching for something and those key words line up with the sermon that I've preached mm -hmm. that speaks directly to what they're dealing with. Uh, one of the things I regularly am encouraging churches not to do is to, to title your video in a very utilitarian way. I see churches just call their video like, you know, uh, First United Methodist Church Sunday worship, and then they have the date. Uh, yeah. And it's like, nobody's going to click on that. The only people that are <laughs> going to click on that are people from your church. But if you say, you know, finding your faith while experiencing fear, I'm much more likely as a somebody just searching YouTube who's dealing with some fear and, and looking for faith to click on that video and, and find it. I want to also just remind folks, and for some people, I think this has been a, an aha moment. Um, Paul's ministry was hybrid. You know, mm -hmm. Paul did ministry both in person, all throughout Acts, he's preaching to the people in person, and then he finds himself in prison and he begins to write these letters, these epistles that, uh, you know, led the church from a distance. Uh, but not only did it lead the church from a distance, it also led the church uh, from a distance in time as well. Uh, right. So the letters that Paul wrote 2,000 years ago still have incredible impact in our lives today. Uh, our our uh, theological foundations, what we preach from, is based on uh, much of it on those letters and uh, I'd like to think that the, the worship that you do this coming Sunday can have the same impact. Somebody can find it hundreds of years later wow. through these <laughs> archived mm -hmm. media uh, you know, files that exist on the World Wide Web or whatever comes next. And, uh, and you can have just as much impact. That's why I, I, help, I try to help people think about uh, here and there and now and later. And, and so mm -hmm. many of us have to think about later. Um, I guess the last thought I would share here is just, again, language matters. Um, one of my pet peeves is that uh, all of our language is for the people right now in the room, and we forget about those right now online and those later online. Uh, so we'll say, let's stand together as we sing, or let's stand together for the reading of the scripture. Do we really think that people in their living rooms are standing up at that moment or 
if I'm, uh, you know, on, on a, a bus watching the stream as I'm, uh, you know, taking a trip or something, am I going to stand up at that moment? Probably not. So what if our language was more inclusive of the different ways that people mm -hmm. worship now? If you're here in the room, I'm going to invite you to stand. If you're worshiping with us online, find a posture that will allow you to fully participate in this moment. Or maybe we say just worship, uh, stand in body or in spirit. Um, I also think that we can consider now and later language, evergreen language. So um, mm -hmm. be careful about saying, good morning, happy Sunday. Boy, right. it's really cold out today. You know, uh, if I'm worshiping with you uh, six months later and it's now summer and uh, I'm not worshiping on Sunday, I'm worshiping. They know you're not recording it in that moment, but we might mm -hmm. open the language up by saying, welcome to worship. Hope you're having a great right. day and not trying to be so temporal. Uh, in the way that that we invite people in. And then I guess yeah. the, the the very final thought is that we might also think about what are the the instructions that we want to give people to participate in a now and later way. So uh, sometimes when it comes to prayer, we'll say, if you'd like to pray with someone, you can come forward. We have uh, care pastors that would love to pray with you or, you know, come to the altar is open, altar rail is open. Well, that only works for the people in the room. So what if we said, if you'd like to pray with someone, we have care pastors here in the room. If you're worshiping with us online right now, we have folks in the chat that would love to pray with you. And if you're worshiping with us at a later time, you can drop your prayer request in an email that's listed along with this video, and someone will pray for you or even reach out and pray with you if you request that this week. So that we make worship something that people can participate in at any time in, in really meaningful ways. Yeah, there's so much potential in that. I really appreciate you explaining that. I, I guess just really quickly, you've already mentioned the, you know, the idea that this can live on the web and we want to make it easy for people to search and find. But what 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 are some things that congregations can do to 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 help people find and engage this ever this evergreen content online? I mean, you know, churches that are doing a really good job of curating and presenting their content, what what does that a little bit, what does that look like? Yeah, well, you know, I think that um, oftentimes branding is uh, not considered nearly enough in the church. Um, mm -hmm. We have incredible content. We have the best content out there, but sometimes we don't market it very well. We don't really brand it very well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think uh, sometimes in the United Methodist Church, we don't do a great job of telling our story in in the most compelling way so i think number one is just to start branding a little bit better how can we uh wrap uh you know compelling themes and titles and all the, those kinds mm -hmm. of things around what we're creating uh number two like ask people to share your stuff <laughs> yeah. um there's a church that i i talk about all the time in my trainings i've gotten to consult with them a couple times it's the united methodist church out of columbia south carolina called Journey Church, uh, Journey United Methodist Church, but they just go by Journey Church, Pastor George Ashford. And every week in worship, they invite people to open the chat in worship, whether you're there in the building or at home. And they say, right now, go down to that bottom left corner and hit that share button. Let's, let's invite people to worship with us today. Mm -hmm. And I have noticed a trend on their Facebook page that they get between 30 and 50 shares every single week, which yeah. means that their online attendance continues to grow all the time. Thank you for that. 
Um, I, I want to zoom this discussion out a little bit and ask about sort of what overall trends you're seeing um, and, and kind of ask you um, how, how you assess the overall state of what churches are doing online uh, now as we're turning the corner into 2023. And, you know, I hear some people who are still so bullish about uh, the growth of digital ministry. And then I hear other people who are just deeply disappointed now by the fact that it seems that so many churches are kind of taking their foot off the pedal and, and, you know, wanting to get back to, you know, emphasizing in person. And I just wondered what you're seeing in the work that you're doing and, and then maybe what metrics there are that give you a sense of, of what's really happening out there. Yeah, well, I think it's a great question to be asking. Um, I think we're living in a critical time in the life of the church right now, uh, because we get to either use this last couple of years as, as a springboard uh, to help more people connect. Um, I see this as a great commission moment. We have the opportunity to take the gospel to people everywhere. And I don't know if we ever considered that we might do that digitally. There were certainly some who did. Right. Um, I think what has been really disappointing to me is in the last six or eight months, I've seen more and more people talk about ending their hybrid worship, or they saw it as the season we had to get through. Um, and I think that we reached so many new people during that time. Um, and the reality is, and this is a pretty harsh reality, I think some people are never coming back. I think that they were content with worshiping online. Now, I spent 20 years teaching people how to do in-person worship. Uh, it's still my favorite form of worship. Nine times out of 10, I want to be in worship on Sunday morning with other people. Um, I'm a both-and guy, not an either-or, but I do believe that there are opportunities online that uh, are different and exciting and uh, and so on. Um, my old mentor, my boss, my my pastor, uh, Mike Slaughter, pastor of Gingosburg Church, mm -hmm. uh, now read serving in retirement, doing other things, but uh, I was there when when Mike was the pastor. Uh, Mike would say something pretty regularly that I love to quote, and I think it really applies to today. He said, if you put it up for a vote, the people will always vote to go back to Egypt. And I think <laughs> right. the reality is that a lot of us have made our way all the way through the, the wilderness into the promised land of this new reality, but some of us felt more comfortable in the captivity of the past, and we're reverting to the way things were, but the world around us is not reverting. I mean, we're pushing into new ways of experiencing the world. I mean, there's a lot of exciting things happening right now with the metaverse. You know, people are buying these virtual reality headsets and starting to create expressions of church online and uh, and those kinds of things. And, and I mean, it's in its early days, but I think that if the church doesn't embrace this moment, I think we're going to miss something, and uh, and unfortunately, our world is becoming less and less churched all the time. Right. And so, if you don't do hybrid, I think you're going to miss a lot of people. Um, I had a pastor say to me recently, uh, "We're thinking about ending our hybrid worship. We're going to stop streaming because we want people to come back to the building." And I said, "My friend, I, I appreciate the thinking behind that, but you know, if my favorite." restaurant who offers delivery service that I can just go on the app and order food for lunch stops offering delivery service. It doesn't mean that I'm going to get in my car and drive to the building to pick up lunch. I don't have time to go to the building. Yeah. I'm going to find somebody else who um, allows me to order lunch and have it delivered because it's part of the rhythms of my life these days. 
And so I don't think that we can just say, well, if we stop online worship, people come back to the building. What I have seen over and over and over this last two years, and it's been really exciting, is in these monthly cohort calls I do, I will ask the question, how many of you have had visitors in your building as a result of your online worship? And hands go up in every single call. In fact, some pastors are lamenting to me that a lot of their regulars are now worshiping at home and they've got a sea of new faces who found them online, uh, who started worshiping online and then migrated to the building. So I like to say that our online worship is like the taster spoon for in-person worship, like when you go get ice cream and people will taste what we're doing and then eventually come and see uh, what we're doing in person. And I, I think it's a it's an incredible opportunity. Let's not end our hybrid worship. Let's lean into it. It's got to continue. And we've got to think about how we move from dis- uh, online worship to online discipleship and other opportunities to connect deeper. Yeah, so I, I just uh, to begin to wrap this up, I, in this conversation about, you know, whether churches are choosing to continue hybrid worship or not, I mean, to me, one of the most remarkable things in the early days of the pandemic was how just about every church, large or small, you know, had to figure out how to do worship in a, in a digital, digital sphere. But there's kind of been this nagging question in the back of my mind as to whether as time continues to unfold, whether we're gonna end up with kind of a bifurcated reality where online worshipers who aren't bound by time or place may end up being attracted to the offerings of those churches, typically larger churches, I would think, that have the resources to offer really high quality online content. And that maybe, you know, smaller churches that, that can't offer that same kind of, of, of you know, experience whether, you know, they may find their niche in, you know, smaller, more localized expressions of ministry. I, I mean, do you think that every, I guess what I'm asking is, do you, do you think the, the future of every church is going to be hybrid? You know, I think that's a, a fair question to ask. Um, I think in the so, same way that not every church is called to have a screen in their sanctuary, or not every church is called to do a contemporary style of worship or, or whatever, I would say that not every church is, it fits their context to do a a hybrid experience of worship. I think it's an an important aspect of life now. Uh, We we do hybrid life. Um, You know, my wife is um, studying to get her teaching degree and has been going through a program where she will never step foot on a campus. She's going to, I mean, she has to do all of her, um, you know, teaching hours in the classroom and all those kind of things. But you know, she's going to a university she's never going to walk into. Um, I, I think that it's an important uh, way for us to communicate the gospel to people. Um, I am actually of the belief that production values don't matter near as much as authenticity right. does. Uh, you, you saw this in the book, but I talk about the idea that um, authenticity is more important than being slick or perfect. I have seen, there's one church here in the West Ohio Conference um, of the United Methodist Church uh, near Dayton, Ohio. It's a Filipino church that does a living room worship service with just a, a cell phone. And I believe they're reaching 1,500 people a week um, oh my goodness, yeah. all over the world. Um, and, you know, they do uh, Bible study online. They're doing uh, extended uh, worship uh, in song, you know, all sorts of things. What I think we need to start focusing on, whatever, regardless of the size of our church, is what is our discipleship pathway 
from our online experience of mm -hmm. worship into right. our faith community. And that may mean into the building, but it also may mean deeper relationship online. So you can come right. to an online Bible study that, that could be disciple Bible study or membership classes or, uh, you know, whatever. I hope that we, we will think about what, how do we take people deeper in their faith? Because your entire faith formation can't happen in an hour on Sunday in the room or online. We've got to take people deeper in their faith and have yeah. a process for that. Yeah, and I will just say that there, there's some really good processes outlined in your book that, that give you know, very clear step-by-step -step of how you might continue to contact online worshipers in a way that leads them uh, toward, toward um, deeper engagement. Um, you know, I, I just, to, to bring this to a close, I, I wanted to share a quote that comes in the beginning of your book, but I thought it might be a good way for us to conclude today. You say that um, worship has the potential to be more powerful, connective, and resonant than ever before, if only churches will take advantage of their newest and best resource, the internet. <laughs> uh, and I, I just thought that was such a such a inspiring and um, and uh, powerful way to think about it, um, and I'm grateful that you you have provided um, so much really helpful information uh, for so many churches that 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 really do want to grow in this important and promising area of ministry. Um, thank you so much for all that you've shared today and, and for all that the work you've done over these last years to help churches really begin to realize this potential. Well, thank you, Anne. Uh, it, it has been an incredible God thing. Uh, I have been uh, riding the wave that, that God put out in front of me. And, uh, you know, for such a time as this, um, I feel like uh, I, I got to be the beneficiary of the right time and the right skill set uh, at that time. And it's, again, just been an incredible God thing. So thank you for the opportunity to, to share more about this. And I, I really do believe that both and worship, hybrid worship is within the grasp of any church that would care to do it. And uh, I hope that we will not uh, run away from it, but double down on it because there are, uh, as, as I said in the quote, there are just some really incredible opportunities ahead of us. Yeah, well, thank you. And thanks for talking with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for joining us for Leading Ideas Talks. Please like and subscribe to this channel and click the bell icon to get updates for new videos.